Welcome everyone to the Elevating Your Potential podcast, where we're enlightening middle school and high school student athletes about the realities of college sports. Um, we have another great show for you today. Um, today we're sitting with a college professor. Um, this person is going to help you become more prepared academically. Um, this is personally one of my favorite and one of the best professors I, I've had throughout my time. I'm not just saying that because he's here, but I truly, truly believe that. Um, his name is Dr. David Bertrand. So how are you doing today, Dr. Bertrand? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Um, so if you just start out by giving the audience, I know you pretty well, but if you can give the audience um, a little bit of information about who you are and what you're currently doing. Uh, first of all, before I do that, I'd just like to say what a pleasure it is to be with Jeremiah Gaines. Um, I think you're an outstanding person. Uh, if you said that I was one of your favorite professors, goodness, I don't know where to even start about your student career here at SMU. Certainly uh, with all of your accolades that you had received from our department and, um, and you know what the faculty thinks of you, uh, I would say that's reciprocated. So, um, and for the audience, you need to know what an outstanding person Jeremiah is who's, who's offering this podcast. So um, everywhere he goes, he leaves a, a wake of opportunity and uh, positivity and so uh, really just excited to be on this podcast today to uh, help student athletes. So a little bit about me. Um, so I'm a full-time professor at SMU. I'm a clinical assist associate professor actually, and I'm the director of the sport performance leadership program. Uh, I also do leadership development for organizations, coaching staffs, athletic directors, things like that. So uh, th that kind of is a little bit of a summary of the scope of, of what I do. So what actually got you involved with um, teaching and being involved with like leadership? I guess those two different questions, but let's talk about teaching first and then we'll do like your leadership passion. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I hated my corporate job. <laughs> That's really how it happened. You know, I, you know, I studied four years to, you know, in management information systems and went out and had this great corporate job. And within a couple of months, I knew that it was not where I needed to be. So I started to, think about, you know, what I really cared about, what I was passionate about. And so that led me to the teaching path. So I went back to school and kind of got oriented to that. Um, with leadership development, that's just always been a part of my activities. From ever since I was a young kid, I was involved in scouting, which isn't as popular now. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of leadership development in scouting. And, uh, and even in, in my sporting teams, I always seem to be interested in how to you know, be a captain and how to influence your peers. And, and I've been reading books on it for the last two decades. And so it's always been a topic that I've just been curious about. And so I don't show up to these audiences and pretend to be the world's expert on the topic of leadership. Um, but for those that are curious about it, like I am, I feel like, you know, I might be able to say some things that could keep them uh, walking along that path. And so uh, and I think the teaching and the leadership go hand in hand, you know, uh, so that's a topic I enjoy and I get to then teach about it. So they kind of feed each other this. Um, so let's break down some barriers here. Um, I know when I was a student athlete coming to college, like when I hear the term, well, I see professor or I see doctor or I see anything of that sort, I kind of get like reserved because they just seem like these authority figures that aren't really touchable. You just see them in the classroom. That's all they do. But I kind of want 
to help the student athletes kind of break down. So like, what do you like to do? I want them to see that student, that uh, professors do things outside of just like teaching and um, leadership development that you talked about. So what do you do like for fun and outside of your uh, profession? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, I'm actually glad you acknowledged it. Um, you know, in some countries, you know, that actually professors would never speak to their students. Mm. And so I think that stereotype exists probably for good reason, you know, the stories have traveled and, you know, depending on the professor, you know, it could seem like that it would perpetuate the idea you're suggesting. Mm -hmm. uh, one quick story, then I'll kind of jump into what I do to break down these barriers. But I remember I was, um, I think my wife and I had not been married more than a year. And uh, when we were married, uh, it was my first year teaching here at SMU, but she was still finishing up her undergrad. And she was getting a degree in exercise science. And I remember she was having trouble in the advanced exercise physiology class. And she was asking me for help. And that wasn't really my expertise, but I knew enough to maybe kind of help her along. And I finally got to the extent of what I was able to help her. And I suggested to her that she go and speak with her professor. And she looked at me like I was crazy because never ever would she go and speak to a professor and in fact it was only because she had married me that that gave her the permission that wow. oh these are regular people you know but even being married to me it was still a hurdle and that's when i really understood the weight of what you're suggesting here and the barrier and the walls of resistance for people to reach out now i think even even just stating that it's even more so for some populations than others. As I continue to learn uh, in my short tenure here at SMU, so you know, it, I don't know all the answers about how to humanize, you know, the professor. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't just like appear out of the podium right <laughs> before class and then kind of disappear back and. You know, sometimes you know that it's awkward for students when they see you at the grocery store or something. It's kind of like, right. oh my gosh, you know. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just like any other Joe, you know. I love being outside. Um, I'm a former triathlete, so I still love being active. You know, I still love, uh, you know, I don't compete like on a sports team anymore. But those, um, I guess just the traditions and the patterns and the behaviors of what being in sport so long had taught me. Now it's kind of more of about being healthy, but I still can connect with students about that depending on what teams they're on. Um, you know, I, you know, I like to read, you know, I, I know that doesn't connect with every student athlete. Of course I tell them, I say, don't worry. I didn't enjoy reading until graduate school when I actually found a topic that I was really, really in love with. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, I hated reading. I hated running. You know, there's a lot of things that I hated early on. Um, and then I have bad habits too. You know, I play Mario Kart, you know, I was next <laughs> I, that's my worst pandemic bad habit. I remember we were just playing it for fun in March or April. I had no idea how addictive, addictive that would be. Um, so yeah, you know, I mean, uh, enjoy uh, going to movies, mm. you know, watching Netflix and uh, just Apple Plus with my wife and things like that. So yeah, I mean, it, I guess, it takes some courage to break that down. It has to be from both sides, right? And um, so not easy, but glad you acknowledged it. Perfect, that's great. I'm glad that um, we can kind of humanize you at least 
um, to our audience and say like Mario Kart's Netflix. Hey, my wife and I just watched a whole Netflix movie yesterday. So a holistic perspective. I know that professors um, are all different. Um, that the way you operate in your classroom is a bit different than maybe another professor operates in their classroom. But what can a student athlete, let's say they're coming into their first class and you're their first instructor that they have, what can they expect a college course to like be or even look like? Wow. Um, okay, let me give you some context. Okay, so you're, this is your first class in college. Think about this for a second. Whether it's your first class, your second or your third, every room that you walk into, that person, that professor has likely given their whole life, their whole life's learning to that one topic. Think about that for a second. And a lot of student athletes can connect to this because they might have given their whole life to play a certain sport, right? So think about that same degree of focus, that same degree of passion for something. So every classroom you drop into, that person at the front has given decades of studying and work for that topic. So I say that to impress upon any new um, college student that you could probably expect the, those that are leading these classes and teaching them to have, you know, a level of seriousness about the topic. When I say serious, I don't mean taking themselves too serious, mm -hmm. but um, I just mean that whatever they're speaking about, there's probably going to be some, some real oomph behind it, some real, um, that it may not come across as passionate speaking, but there's a reason that somebody would spend, you know, over a decade looking into a topic very deeply so that might be able to offer something to you mm -hmm. just like um, at a more broad level. Right. So I don't know. I think you can expect the classroom for that person to have a level of competence and, and care for the topic that you're learning about. And uh, so that's, I think that's the main thing is mm -hmm. I don't know how much of uh, a high school education can prepare you for what that feels like when you step mm. into that room, you know, and I've taught at high school too. So I'm not, this is not a statement about high school level of confidence versus this is just, um, it's just a different feel. And so I actually found it the college environment to be more conducive to me thinking more freely uh, and it, because it was a little less structured and at the same time, it felt like the stakes were a little higher, too. And yeah. so, but I think that comes with your development. So I think as you start to age up, you start to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. And so I would, I would tell people to expect, expect it to be an environment where you're, uh, you know, you, you are stepping into a space uh, where that person really, really cares about that topic, and by the way, they're not expecting you to care about it to the same degree at all, mm. but that's something that you have to manage. So that's what there is to know. You may not like that topic. It may be a class you have to take, mm -hmm. but you can't act like it's a class that you have to take, and there's a huge difference. And so I think the student athletes and the students that understand that, that get that, that realize, oh man, I really, this wouldn't where I would choose to be first, but now that I'm here, I, I know how to act to make this easier on myself as opposed to much, much harder. So I think that presence of mind can be really, really helpful. 
So do you think going along the same the same thought process, do you think it's an attitude or do you think that there's actual tangible tips that a person that you can give a person to help them like see that this is I know there's something that you have to do. It might just be a, a requisite or something with the like university curriculum, but like how do you help a student get there? Yeah, I think it's both. I think there are habits or I think there's things that you can do and I think it's an attitude. Okay. Um, or it's, it can even be like a mentality, a mindset. So, um, so let's just go into some of the reasons, right? Um, so some of the characteristics that I've noticed, and again, I've been at SMU since 2007. So this is 13 years of experience uh, in working with students and student athletes. And uh, I can say this, that your level of competence or intelligence coming in, I don't, I haven't seen in my own experience is a, is a really strong predictor of your ability to get through the program. And it's for these reasons, because I've seen somebody who might've needed more help and more work, but be humble and be open-minded and be a great communicator. In other words, um, willing to ask for help and see them. I mean, every faculty member is kind of bending over backwards to help this person, right? Whereas you have somebody that might start off with a higher degree of intelligence, but really has a huge chip on their shoulder, uh, doesn't reach out till the last minute, <laughs> you know, so they don't plant the seeds. And then what they do is they end up making it a lot harder for themselves later on. So that could be, so let's talk about both. So it could mean uh, that you're avoiding addressing like a bad grade that you get, where normally you just kind of think, oh, it's going to work out. It always has in the past. And so you just kind of let things that would normally kind of make you feel a little, oh man, that doesn't feel good, but I'm just going to chance it. So you don't address things head on. I think that's something that I've seen students err on the side when it really comes back to hurt them or as a mistake, or they need to have a conversation uh, with their faculty about missing or about uh, you can tell that uh, you might not have given off the best impression or you might have disrupted a class or you might have not turned something in but you just don't address things head-on I think that can come back to hurt those people too and they just you know and some another mistake would be just not initiating doing your work you know and I know that sounds crazy that we see that on the college level but it's true you know some people that just seem to drag their feet on that and you know, it just gives off the wrong impression. On the other side, you have what I would call just a very attentive, um, gracious, respectful, um, somebody that I call it kind of like your intangibles, you know, where I can tell, even though that person hasn't said anything to me, I can tell that they respect the fact that I have given 25 years of my life to this topic. Right? So there's a way that you can see that on somebody versus somebody who just walks in and doesn't care if you've given 25 years or two and a half minutes to something, they're just there. You know, they might walk into a room and say, what class is this? You know, just kind of like acting clueless, not really caring. I think those two individuals um, arise for the faculty in very, very different ways. And so again, when we're unpacking kind of these behaviors and how that might look, um, I understand that you know, of course, having a sporting background too, that, you know, that's where my passion was. So sometimes um, not everyone takes that competitive nature over into the classroom. I understand that. 
but there's still a code of ethics. There's still, a, I call it the unwritten syllabus. There's still a way of operating that I think if some people need to stay more curious about to learning and to building relationships with faculty and to not be afraid of that. Um, think of it this way. Mm -hmm. Go and research how much money faculty make relative to other professions, okay? And don't take my word for it. Sure. Um, but yeah, just go and look at what people make, okay? And so when you look at the money that you can make in all different kinds of professions, and then you look to see what teachers and faculty make, that should give you a clue as to why that person might have chosen this path. And it's because, I can't speak for everybody, it's because there's some sort of enthusiasm or uh, willingness to want to help and develop. I'd like to say that for most of the teachers and faculty that I've met and I've been a part of, that is overwhelmingly true, that we want to help. And so, you know, that could help too, Jeremiah, just knowing that, that like, hey, you know, we want to help. That person's in that role because they want to help and you just have to tap into it. You know, you just have to knock and receive the help, you know? Right. Um, so I think that's something good to know. I know I'm just going to keep rambling. Here. That, that is great because what it instantly brought me to was that we brought up the teaching salaries, uh, faculty salaries, was that we have people in the business school who have chosen to be full-time instructors, but they can go run a business and make <laughs> a lot more than what they're making as a faculty member. And that goes for you, exercise science, that goes for anybody across the um, institution, which I think is different than a high school. Because high school, like, they have a teacher certificate to teach. So this is what they're doing. But y'all can do whatever. And like you just said, make more in that given field. Yeah, technically, I think, you know, for faculty, it's, you know, um, I don't know if it's 10% of your time or something like that can be consulting or doing other things. So, um, and it depends on your contract, you know, if you're right. non-tenure track or tenure track. Sometimes responsibilities differ, but yeah, it's an important point you make about the freedom. Of course, if you talk about K-12 too, like um, they typically have less summer responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Should they not teach summer? So even then you could pursue, you know, some sort of entrepreneurial thing outside of that too. So, so yeah, I mean, not to discount the fact that you can do things outside of it, but even still, if you just compare the salaries and compare the opportunities, I think my, my larger point was just trying to say that, you know, if you, didn't have some sort of inclination uh, to want to develop, yeah. to want to help. I don't think you'd be there. So if that could help somebody in the audience, right. you know, drum up the courage to, to just reach out when it feels vulnerable to, when it mm -hmm. feels like this is risky to, um, I would just encourage them to try it because uh, just you have no idea how much easier it can make your life just to, right. just to be willing to admit, you know what, I actually don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to, and showing that and just asking that question, you know, it shows a degree of care too, that you want to get on the track to making it right that you want to know. And so we can't know where you are if, we, if there's no communication. So I think that's part of the becoming a young man, becoming a young woman and being able to communicate uh, those things uh, fluidly, you yeah. know, so it's, it's part of the process. Man, that's so good. That is so good. Um, earlier you mentioned something about 
that there's less structure most of the time, like in a college classroom. Um, can I take that as though you mean less structured as in it's going to be more talking and more communication in the classroom as opposed to like a different, maybe like using a textbook or something? Can you go in a little bit more detail about that? Because I think I know where you're heading, but can you, can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, my first thought was, did I say less structured? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, I, I, I wonder if I didn't say, you can go back and fact check me. I wonder if I didn't say I felt more free in okay. the college classroom, but I think largely that was a function of kind of my interest uh, in the material. Um, but I think every faculty member, every professor is going to be different, right? And so I think, you know, what to expect in the college classroom too is that it's an opportunity to develop your interpersonal skills and to um, part of your success is going to be uh, your ability to listen really well to what is important to this person and your ability to look at a syllabus and to figure out what's required of you. And so those two things, listening really well to see what's important, because every professor is going to have their thing, right? You know, uh, you know, whether it's coming in late or whether it's speaking out of turn or, and usually they'll tell you these things. So you just have to kind of listen really well. Um, but back to structure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can say that. I, I think what I meant by that is there's a lot more opportunity, I think, in college, like if I had to just compare, like, um, you know, the major differences between high school and college courses. Um, high school to me, and again, I've taught both, too. So uh, high school is more, and again, I'm generalizing. Mm -hmm. High school is more like, here's the content, um, learn it, memorize it, uh, here's what's going to be on the test. Maybe there's some time for discussion, but it feels much more, it felt much more rigid to me mm -hmm. based on going to the seven different classes a day and moving up to this and uh, it was kind of formulaic. So when I said less structured, I think uh, what I meant by that is uh, you dial up your thinking. And this is sometimes a really tough transition if you've kind of turned off your thinking and you're used to uh, you're not used to dialogue in the classroom. In fact, you feel kind of like well in the bottom of your belly anytime you want to speak in front of a group. So that'll be challenged in college, you know, where you're expected to speak in front of your peers or to have an opinion or to disagree with your professor. Like that's actually welcome here as opposed to, you know, where there might not be time and space for that in high school. Uh, and then explaining why you disagree, being able, like, what's the nuance in the argument or, or why is that? Or that's interesting. So really those types of discussions, I think, felt less structured in the sense that you might say it's more structured in regards to how you're um, structuring the class from the professor's standpoint. But for the student, it felt like there was more ro room to roam and not everybody appreciates that. Not everybody likes that. And so uh, I would also say college is like chess. High school is more checkers in regards to the possibilities of what to expect in class. So you really got to open your mind to, hey, you know, um, this feels a little uncomfortable, but trust your ability to walk through. You wouldn't be in that classroom. You wouldn't have been accepted to that university if you weren't supposed to be there. So 
Um, I don't know, this kind of ties in with what we were talking about earlier too, about just, uh, you know, just taking more responsibility, I think, uh, as you age and as you age up and develop, I think taking responsibility for your learning um, kind of ties in more to like the college route where you may not be, um, you, may, you may not be spoon fed things as much in regards to, hey, turn this in on this day and like you show up to class, oh, I need this from you. Like, I feel like there's a lot less of that. Mm -hmm. There's more kind of like, hey, we expect you to get it in and we may not ask you and it's kind of on you to uh, figure that out. Um, uh, if I had to say, uh, what would I, um, or if you, what, what would I say if you were going to prepare now mm -hmm. for a college course? Um, I would say this, that uh, ask this question of yourself. Am I relying on the teacher to tell me what to do? Or am I on top of it enough to where I can already know what's coming and I can anticipate what he or she's going to ask for and when? Your answer to that question will correlate to your success in the college classroom. Wow. Uh, so what, I, what I'm set speaking to in those questions is, I think, taking the reins back. You've had a lot of high school teachers that have kind of like said, hey, I need this from you. And you haven't stepped into that role of, no, I'm in charge of this class. Uh, this is what I'd like to learn from you, professor, kind of taking the responsibility. It's just a total mind shift. And I think when you, um, man, when you do it in sport all the time, mm -hmm. I mean, think about playing time. Those that typically want to play end up playing because <laughs> they're going to put it. So it's kind of like, transferring that mindset to the classroom it's kind of like hey, you know can i be competitive enough to uh to, to transfer that mentality over to, to the to the chair in the classroom mm -hmm. and um not for anybody else but for yourself i think that's that's not an easy thing what i've said for many people but i think that's the goal yeah yeah really good great sound advice i think our student athletes will get a lot from that um, let's take this, let's switch slightly over to like majors and we'll talk a little bit about the sport performance leadership, um, which I am a graduate of as well. Love the program. Um, but I know this isn't your specific area of expertise, but what do you think should go into a student's mind as they are thinking about different majors and what they want to um, study in college? Yeah, this is like a disclaimer, right? You know, disclaimer, I'm not a career counselor. Right, or, right. <laughs> you know, I think my life would reflect this, but uh, my, what I advocate for is kind of following your bliss. You know, um, I think a lot of people look at uh, that conversation are very practical about it. And uh, <clears throat> I think when I look, at a 30,000 foot level of society. And I see, um, I, I see that we could use more people that are doing things that make them come alive as opposed to what's just practical. Mm. And so that's how I guide that decision is what I think the world needs more of. And mm. what I think the world needs more of is people that have come alive and that are on fire for what they do. So I think starting there, you know, starting with that, you know, what do you, what do you talk about in your free, like what, what and, and then following those thread of questions to see how that might connect to even remotely, or maybe even more specifically 
to a study or a course of interest, you know, taking things that can help you develop that curiosity. So, I mean, unfortunately, you know, I see a lot of people and have actually gotten really good at taking classes that they don't care about. And it reminds me of an old movie, The Shining with Jack Nicholson, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And I would say the same thing for students, all practical thinking and no passion makes Jack and Jill a dull, a dull person in the workforce. And so those are a diamond. I mean, you can find those people everywhere that might be really good at doing something, but it's not necessarily, you can, there's no conviction, you know? And so I think that's part of, you know, again, my philosophy, I'm not saying that's the right way to advise, but I think, you know, people that are doing something that connects to a deeper sense of purpose really shines in the world. And so I try to plant those seeds early and often with students as they start to think about, and again, it, it may not come to you quickly. You know, I think it's something that continues to develop throughout your career. Right. And, um, and you know, following that bliss is, is yeah. I think, my advice. And I think that's a good segue to this next question, uh, because primarily student athletes will be listening to this. And your program, as we just discussed, the student the sport performance leadership, um, exactly, it goes over kind of like the art of coaching in every aspect of like this leadership development piece that we talk about. And so a lot of student athletes listening might actually follow this track, um, yeah. similar to what I did. And so, what um, makes your program? What makes the program, um, I guess, different or great? And what are some of the things you go over in the program? Yeah, so to all student athletes out there, you can probably connect to this or you've had coaches that you feel like are really great that really taught you something about yourself, about life, that really got the best performance out of you and other coaches that you can think about that whenever you think of their name, a lot of explicatives come to mind too about how this person was with you. And so I think coaching, when you have good coaches, it can really teach you a lot. And when you have some not so good coaches, it also teaches you sometimes in many ways more. Mm. And so the words that we put on that is transactional versus transformational coaching. So the sport performance leadership program is all about the transformational coaching, which is that there's a human being beyond the athlete. You know, you're not a athletic robot. That's just, you know, the coach says this in some sort of transactional re- relationship where, you know, I get mad when you don't give, give me performance. And when you give me performance, then I'm happy. And, you know, and so what we're about is about, creating uh, a curriculum to give you a chance to step into a role where you can really, you know, um, kind of get the nuts and bolts of, of how to transform lives through sport, because that's usually how people get here. I mean, that's how I got here. You know, you learn life lessons and have this passion for the game and, you know, sports kind of used as a language for how we learn things in life. And so I think coaches, you know, um, coaches can be just really transformational in that process. I mean, some, I didn't recognize in the classroom, you know, people aren't going to say, oh, I remember when Professor Bertrand said this in the classroom 20 years ago on this day. I mean, I might say something, but, you know, people will always remember like, oh, you remember in tryouts in eighth grade when the coach said, you know, we just, if you love sport, you just connect to what they're saying. So I think coaches taking that with responsibility for how this human being is developing is really important. So yeah, we talk about, I mean, it's our, our curriculum is science-based. So you do take classes like exercise physiology and biomechanics and understand 
body and movement, I mean, you have to have some confidence there, but there's also the art of coaching where you take into consideration leadership competencies and behavioral psychology and adult stages of development and, you know, your personal leadership style. And I think you continuing to work on you gives you access to then lead a team or lead a staff powerfully. And so, uh, showing the way with that, being willing to uh, learn about yourself and learn how you're showing up to others. I think that's the process that we're on. Um, I remember uh, there was a student athlete in my office about four years ago uh, as a high school senior. And um, I remember uh, his parents were in here. And after about 20 minutes of talking, the coaches were in here and the parents and student athlete. And this, this student athlete had offers from all of the top schools in their respective sport. They could choose really wherever they wanted to go. And uh, I'll never forget after 20 minutes of talking, I was kind of getting tired of hearing the parents talking because I hadn't heard the student athlete say one word yet. And the dad asked me, he said, well, what is my son gonna get if he comes here from your program? You know, and what I said was, is, you know, what your son's gonna get is um, when, if your son comes to this program in four years, uh, or in, I didn't say in four years, but your, your, my goal would be for your son to be leading this conversation, not you. Mm. And that is the essence of, I think, becoming a person of influence, becoming a leader, becoming a coach that can own your space. And I think the dad got it in that moment and that student athlete actually did end up coming to SMU too. So wow. at first I was worried. I said, you know, that coach is going to be so mad at me because that, that if they choose somewhere else, you know, maybe that's on me. But, um, but I think that's what we try to do here is just give you the tools, equip you so that you can go out into the world and, you know, be a person, be a coach, be a leader of influence and uh, know how to work, work around that. So, you know, you can look it up, smu.edu backslash SPL. If you want to look at the courses and the curriculum, you know, you can learn a lot more about it there. And that story is huge. I think that you all do a very, very good job. I would like to say that since I, <laughs> um, since I am a um, definitely, I guess you can say for lack of a better term, disciple of you all. Um, just that accountability and just self-awareness um, to say, okay, I can influence, but first I have to influence me. I have to influence me first. It's all reflective and then it's projected outward, which I really, really enjoyed um, through y'all's program. It was great for sure. Awesome, thank you. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do wanna ask this question um, and then we'll wrap up. What's one of the most powerful moments that you've had in the classroom? Cause I want our student athletes to see like the transformational piece. And like when you see that as a professor, I know we've talked in the past about there's been times where you've had instances where you were the student and someone else was teaching. I don't know if you're gonna go there, um, but like what's the powerful moments you've had as an instructor or professor? The most powerful moments I've ever experienced in the classroom have always been, and I can think of three that come to mind. One happened almost 13 years ago in my first year, I believe and they've just been sprinkled throughout, is it always centers around this one thing when I see a student that has courage. They take a risk. They do something in the classroom that 
may or may not work, but you can see they go to great lengths to take a risk. I'll give you some examples. And all these risks uh, came as they were, um, I guess, doing what needed to be done to fulfill the assignment. And usually they had something to do with delivering something to their peers. Okay, so it could have been in the form of a presentation or a speech or something like that. One example is when I watched a student talk openly um, to his peers about what it was like to overcome um, his best friend's suicide. And you can tell when they were weaving this into their, which is a very personal, deeply personal uh, thing, but as they were weaving it in, you could, still, you could tell he was still working through this as he shared it. And so that tender moment that actually kind of drew him closer to everybody in the room. And I realized that, um, you know, we all learned from him that day. And so the most powerful moments are always where I'm in awe because in those moments, I realize I'm the student and he or she is the teacher. And so I'm always open to that. And it always comes by surprise. Um, but I would say those are the most powerful moments. Another one was when I learned about a student who lost his dad in the war, in, in the war with Iraq. And, um, you know, when he was age nine, he talked about his four siblings, you know, and how they uh, responded to that with such strength and courage. And as I watched this young person speak about his late dad and what that did to their family, I realized that, um, you know, owning your experience and, uh, you know, and modeling that for other people and showing that, you know, is that's when the real learning occurs. Um, so, I mean, I could go on with examples, but I think that's when I've been most in awe is when I see young people uh, really using the opportunities they're given, not just to fulfill some sort of requirements for an assignment, but they realize the opportunity that they have to be a leader now and to influence the 35 people or the 100 people in that room. And you can do something that 100 people might never forget. I mean, I can remember these three things. Very, and so you, you have power, you have influence. And so when I've seen that courage, when I've seen that vulnerability, and when I've seen that in the classroom, it's inspired me so much that I would say those are the most powerful things I've been a part of. And, and, and I don't know if those students knew how powerful it would be. I don't know what their thinking was. Um, but uh, I think they definitely were etched in my mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so good. Um, I think you kind of answered my name, my last question. I usually like to ask, like, if you had every student athlete in front of you right now, what would you tell them about their journey? Um, I think you answered it very well there. Do you have anything else that you want to add um, to that to kind of bring it to bring us to a close today? Well, just that it is a journey. I think, uh, you know, just being able to acknowledge that nobody's expecting you to be perfect and, and to know it all. And I think sometimes you step onto a campus like this or on any other campus and, you know, you can get tripped up by thinking um, that you're supposed to know something you're not. I think it's just a much easier road to be respectful. If you're not sure how to do something, approach the question with humility, uh, get the answers that you need, 
be in communication more than you think you need to be. I would say that's probably true for most young people. And I think, um, you know, again, I do, I think I've probably answered this a lot already, but um, um, use, use the sport, especially if you're a scholarship athlete, use, use, the, use the sport that got you there and don't let it use you is something else that I would say. Um, and I think that's something that I've heard student athletes come back, scholarship, that that's what they say to their peers. So I've kind of heard that a lot and have now shared it like, hey, you know, I understand this is not an easy road. And I think that's something else is know that you're choosing a road that's probably very challenging, right? And, but you should, but you want that challenge. You thrive on challenges. And so just remember that when it gets hard. (laughs) And you're tired and you're sleep deprived Mm -hmm. and you have professors who are asking you for things and you have your coaches that are asking you for things. Just remember that you chose a path that's going to refine you and that's going to put you under a lot of pressure and not to be cliche, but you know, diamonds are made from pressure. So you have to remember that you thrive under pressure, that you chose less free time. And I think I see a lot of student athletes going around moping and complaining about that. And those are never the ones that achieve success, not at least at the highest levels. So I think it's reframing and realizing like, okay, this isn't going to be easy. Um, And so I'm ready and I'm ready to take it all on. And, you know, if I get overwhelmed or I need help, I'm going to ask, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to reach out and ask for help. Uh, But I'm not going to, I'm not going to declare that I didn't want uh, to be challenged in this way, because I think it is a path where you're going to be challenged. I have not met a student athlete yet that was like, oh yeah, that was a cakewalk. (laughs) You know, I got 50 to 60 hours with football, maybe more. I've got, you know, 20 to 30 hours of homework. I wake up at five, I go to bed at 11. And I am lucky if I have a couple minutes in the day where I have a lunch and 20 minutes here or that, you know, that's the experience of a lot of people. It's very structured. It's very demanding. And I think there's a way that, you know, you can accept that demanding culture and you demand that of yourself. I think it can work really, really well. And um, so there you have it. Thank Dr. Bertrand. That was great. I would definitely appreciate you being on. I know a lot of students are going to learn so much from this. Um, I learned so much as well as every time we talk, you give me so much wisdom um, and advice. So thank you so much. And to all y'all, hope you have a great rest of y'all's week. Take care.